Pod Boys Productions. Let's talk Irishmen, and we won't go too... I think the one movie that's going to be my number one, maybe yours as well, is one we've already talked about, so we won't yeah. need to rehash that too much more. But just to say, this won't go super, super long, but it's still going to be pretty long, probably. So The Irishman, it's... Well, I'll, I'll let you start on this one. That was your number three. Give a general your general jumping off for this. I love this movie and I cried three times, which is not a thing that I expected to say in a Martin Scorsese movie. Like he's he's like this like er like his the perception of a Martin Scorsese movie is that he's this like er machismo director. And it's just like it's always something different in his movies. I don't love Goodfellas like people love love Goodfellas, and that's like a personal problem. Like I just like didn't give it it's due when I was young enough when it was new enough and I was young enough and I hadn't seen all the things that it inspired but like I understand what it does and I like I know when something's doing a Goodfellas impression when we're doing like we're getting the band together and it's got the voiceover like I, I know all that shit and I like that movie it's good um, but I, yeah, I don't have a special emotional place as far back as I can remember I always wanted right those were the good times like I, I know when something's quoting it but I don't have an emotional relationship with that movie even though it's I know it's great and I know it's not endorsing the like absurd lifestyles that those characters live it just come to represent the same way that the godfathers come to represent just like oh yeah you didn't and breaking that like we've often talked about on and offline i was just like yeah you didn't understand this so that's why you think this character's cool this movie fucking rules it's so upsetting and beautiful i cried like three different times i want to like stop us right here and say that i'm going full spoiler on this fucking movie yeah we'll spoil this one i will be interested to hear if you recall which points of the film they were i know exactly which ones they were specifically the moment where ray Liotta is telling him this is happening we're going to kill jimmy hoffa you've got to be there and there's nothing that you can do about it and this has to happen forces more powerful than you have decided that it's going to happen and i know he's your best friend and that's sorry like it is what it is is the line and there's a the thing that robert de niro who i now sorry to cut you off again but you just said ray liotta is not ray liotta uh, joe pesci sorry uh, another italian man joe pesci sorry who gives a great performance oh yeah i definitely want to talk a lot about him but yeah we'll we'll sideline that for a second but there's this thing that robert de niro does in that scene where he's being told that he has to kill uh al pacino's character jimmy alpha he's not looking right at him and he's not crying he's just kind of nodding and starting to tear up but like refusing to tear up which is just everything that this movie is trying to do right it's about these it's, it's about the families that you choose as opposed to the families that you just get and how like a certain kind of american in a certain part of the century just kind of let himself themselves fall into that kind of fa like family and even if it's just like your work friends from the auto body shop or whatever and just like what that what you get out of those relationships and what you what they take away from you every bit of the theme of the movie was like in his face at that moment and it's one of the best things I've ever fucking seen, which is insane because Robert De Niro hasn't acted in a movie that he's been acting in for the last, like, eight years of his life. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know he still had it, and it, it fucking split me wide open. Yeah, and even with that, too, it's like, with all the characters, or the main characters in this, 
it's hard to tell what age they are a lot of the time. Like mm-hmm. he, he has like the thing over his fit. I don't remember specifically if at the scene you're talking about it is just like how De Niro looks now, or what, did he ever look how he looks now in any point in the movie? I think I think during that part of the movie he looks how he looks now, Pretty and he much. has the like prostheses to age him like ten years, fifteen years, like from that point forward, right? Or from 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 the scene where he murders him forward. Yeah, so bring up Goodfellas, though. I kind of felt like this plays on a lot of similar themes. Obviously, another gangster story. But in a lot of senses, I felt like The Irishman is kind of like the inverse of Goodfellas, or like the opposite in a way. Everywhere where Goodfellas is like bombastic or really glorifying violence, The Irishman is kind of takes the different way and shows like a different side of it, where it's like the killing in this is like very like bang, bang. There's not a a ton of violent scenes overall in the whole movie they're definitely there but they're not like glorified at all they're like very shot twice like bang bang like walk away when i feel like that's all on purpose yeah i'm not saying it's not this movie was made by an old man like looking back on his life about old men looking back on their lives like of course it's going to be different from goodfellas the foundational text of his career uh which maybe he feels that i'm not gonna put words in like one of the great american directors mouths maybe he feels like did glorify the lifestyle and the violence too much, or, or like could be seen to have and, and thus needs to be corrected. Well, I don't know if it needs to be corrected. I think a lot of it is, with Goodfellas, I think a lot of it is the trick where it makes you like start liking it, you know, it makes you, it makes you understand why people get into this because like it is like sexy in a way or you could you know what i mean which is the whole point of most of his movies wolf of wall street etc yeah a lot of them and then where this one is like not it's really not that even so let's talk about pesci who who's phenomenal i thought he's he's wonderful what he's known for is his goodfellas character and also casino which is kind of like a spiritual sequel to goodfellas yeah i was being like the crazy over-the-top gangster flies off the handle psychopath basically and in the Irishman he's still playing a gangster obviously like the head of a family essentially but it's like such the opposite type of character it's crazy that I know he's an app professional actor but and he hasn't done a lot in the past decade other than this but the role is just so completely the performance is so completely different that's like yeah I think he should be nominated just for that or win just for that I mean not just for that but the what's his name Russell Buffalino they're definitely running all three of those actors so he goes like against type in a way with this character pacino is very good too and he's the best thing he's done in a long time too let's fucking talk about how pacino he is doing his like what he likes to do playing a big over-the-top character still yelling screaming all that type of stuff playing jimmy hoffo is obviously what's well, al pacino at 70 whatever doing the best al pacino impression i've ever seen in my life yeah and then de niro is kind of he has played characters like this before but he's the center obviously of the film it's very centered where yeah like you're saying you you only see it on his face sometimes when he's feeling emotionally but like the character itself and probably the real person isn't there's not like a lot going on right it's just like he's just like a tool essentially for these more powerful men yeah on purpose and then yeah so then he gets caught up in the dynamic of being part of both of these families essentially and that's kind of shown also through his daughter who really likes hoffa and is like scared of the pesci character and scared of her own father basically yeah and 
basically isn't part of the movie as an adult because she's not a part of his life because that's the whole point. Yeah, but they still got a big name actress to play her as an adult, which, I mean, fine, but they, yeah, they didn't really do much with her later on. And it's the movie's already long as fuck, so it's not like they... Yeah. That was maybe the one element that was dropped a little bit. The whole point is that you don't get to, like, have a relationship with your daughter after you definitely and obviously murdered her favorite, like, surrogate uncle. Yeah, and then, so, like, the scene at the end of the film where he's talking to the girl from Orange is the New Black. It was, like, the nurse or whatever. Yep. He's just, like, yeah, it is really sad, obviously. He's, like, he's, it's about to be Christmas or whatever. And he's, like, has no one, basically. I'm not going anywhere. No one even remembers the Orange is the New Black girl doesn't, I guess this is supposed to be right around, I mean, this might be, like, 2012, like, when Uncut Jumps takes place, or maybe 2009. It's not that long ago it's supposed to be. I think this guy only died 10 years ago or something. I think so. And no one, she doesn't know who Jimmy Hoffa is. No one remembers. I didn't know who Jimmy Hoffa is. Was. I heard the name. I, I vaguely knew who it was, but obviously I explained it a lot in this movie, um, which is another interesting angle, the whole historical aspect with Kennedy and, and everything like that. And yeah, like he makes, he's, he gets mad that the, that the flag is flying half mass for Kennedy and makes them put it back up, which is about as petty as it gets but, but like yeah but back to the ending yeah it's just like very affecting i guess like i don't know what my my larger point was but yeah it's just by himself alone basically with with no one which is like it bends on plenty of times in movies like that's the ending for a lot of characters but especially after you see the whole life and also back to my point about how it's like the inverse of goodfellas a little bit like if you look at the end of that film it's the coke-addled Leota and his wife and everyone yeah. trying to get everything together. There's, like, helicopters chasing down on them. They're sweaty, like, all this stuff. Then he gets busted. She's flushing all the coke. And then, like, he goes into witness protection or whatever, which is, again, that's what we're having in real life, too. The, again, bombastic. Where And, like, you, he, he, didn't, he doesn't die, the Harry Hill character. Like, again, he goes into witness protection. But it's still, like, the, the flashy ending, basically... Whereas this is the Irishman has to murder one of his best friends, basically goes to jail with, I guess, Pesci's character and other people, lives out, basically lives out his life fairly boring fashion and then goes to a nursing home. The family won't talk to him, doesn't really have, all his friends are dead. People don't remember his legacy at all. Again, because it's not about him, even. He's not the character to care about his personal legacy. Mm -hmm. People don't remember Hoffa or, like, the legacy he helped build of all these other more famous guys. And that's it. And he doesn't die. It's not like the movie ends with him, like, croaking, you know, falling over in his wheelchair on Christmas Day. That's just, like, that's it. Yeah. You know he's obviously going to die soon enough. but And it's, like, yeah, it's, like, the opposite. I could see someone even... Obviously, it would be someone that's not getting the point, but I could see someone like watching Goodfellas. Or probably a lot of people have. Also, one beginning with like Scarface and other movies like this. Even seeing what bad happens to everyone in in the film, they're still like that. Looks like a cool lifestyle. That's what I want. I can't see people watching this and being like, I want to end up like right, the Irishman. You know exactly. Which is the point of the movie, man. It was so fucking good. Well, what other what other points where you uh, shed a, a few tears? It was the part at the end, and, and I quoted it a second ago, is the other one that I can remember for sure, where he's talking to the priest, and the priest is like, okay, I'll be back after Christmas. And De Niro 
he's saying like I'm not going anywhere for Christmas but what he says is I'm not going anywhere and it's just like oh fuck you have nobody which I don't know I'm a little lonely right now in my life but like <laughs> it was well acted and it was well written and like it, it did work on me and then yeah we could I could keep talking about this a lot longer maybe we will on a future episode but it's such a good fucking movie <laughs> it really is like one of the best movies of the year and it does still have elements where what i like about goodfellas or other scorsese or casino or other scorsese movies where there is some element of explaining a history b how the literal operation of these things works like the scene where he de niro has to kill the one guy and the and um like the crazy guy and uh yeah little literally and he's like explaining like you should do this and do this and do that kind of thing and, and like a lot of the historical stuff with hoffa again like i said with kennedy and all this stuff like how things actually went down is very interesting in general. So just for a couple brief cons or, you know, things that didn't work as ultimately I was skeptical about the um, aging, de-aging, all that thing. It ultimately did work pretty well. And it's good that it allowed these like great actors um, to, you know, be able to play these roles. It was confusing at points that you couldn't really figure out how old they're supposed to be at a lot of points and yeah. the biggest thing for me was i don't really i don't understand why they didn't have stunt actors in there for some of the action stuff the walking is pretty fucking bad yeah when de niro's supposed to be younger he, he still walked clearly walking like an old man people have been pointing out the scene where he beats the guy up the bodega guy or whoever it is for his daughter that looks very bad obviously yep the stomping I also noticed that there's one scene where he used to walk over and drop a gun in the water in like the river or whatever. He was really walking like a hobble old man in that one. He, I think he's only supposed to be in his 40s or something. So I don't really, they, they probably should have thought that one and like, I'm sure they could have done that part better, but it, it is what it is. Minor criticism. And then, yeah, just the length, but it, the length isn't really, and I, I'm not the best one to say, because like I said, I did kind of break it up over, I did watch this movie over three days, but I feel like the length wasn't really felt, I don't know. <sighs> Me too. It's not too long. It, it just isn't too long. It's as long as it needs to be. Movies get to be three hours sometimes. And uh, yeah, so like I said, we'll probably go back to, to more conversation about that someday, but let's uh, keep going. So number two, well, let's see if we have the same final order to this. Uh, is Parasite going to be your number one? Parasite's my number one. Okay, so we won't talk about that again more unless you really want to, because we have a whole episode about that. Go back and listen to it on the feed here on Brooklyn Rebound Network. Pretty recent episode, too. We loved it. I still do. I want to see it again when I can, and it's great. So number two on the list for me... Do the same at the same time? Sure. Three, two, one... Upon Once upon a time, time I had Hollywood. Yes. On August night and the leaves hanging down and the grass on the ground smelling sweet. Also a movie that I cried several times in. Now, this is a little bit interesting to me because, well, first of all, you didn't see this right away. Nope. I was j pumped for this. I love Tarantino. I pretty much like all his movies. I don't love Death Proof, but for the most part, I love Death Proof, and I hate that I love Tarantino, but continue. Yeah, see, that's where I'm kind of going, where, where I'm leading with this. I kind of feel like you're the type of guy, based on what I know about you and your taste, 
that you would maybe push against Tarantino a little better. He's not one of your favorite guys. I don't love violence. And also, you didn't... Or the N-word. You didn't watch this for, like, a long time, right? I really wanted to. Like, I was so excited to see this movie um, that I listened on the way back, like, the weekend before it opened, on the way back from Chicago. I listened to the entire uh, Manson family run of You Must Remember This on a plane, just so I could, like... <laughs> I think you mentioned this on one of our past podcasts, and I told you you didn't really didn't need I to didn't. do that. I didn't. For this I was movie, so... I'm sure it was interesting. But. Lit to see this movie. Um, and then I just didn't for like two and a half months. And then I finally saw it uh, very recently. Pretty recently. A couple weeks ago. Yeah, I just feel like... Yeah, Parasite's my number one. And that one hit me in a way where no other movie... Again, Uncut Gems yesterday was, was a tour de force. But I think Parasite hit me in a way where no other movie has. And it just puts so many different elements together that I loved and was so perfect. Where this is just like, Hollywood is just like a different beast entirely. It might have the most rewatchability of any of the, the films on my list. And that hasn't always been the, I mean, I do rewatch his films a lot, I guess, but the last few before this, even though I liked them a lot, uh, they weren't as rewatchable for me for whatever. Like, I don't go back and watch Django Unchained a lot or The Hateful Eight a lot. Or even Inglourious Bastards. I might watch scenes here and there. But. I think The Hateful Eight, I actively think that The Hateful Eight is bad. You don't like Hateful Eight? I think it's a bad movie. A lot of people didn't like that one. I think it is, of of like all of his over, it is the most senselessly violent. I don't feel like it has a purpose in the way that Kill Bill or Django or uh, Bastards have. I guess so. It's kind of like supposed to be, I think, kind of like a whodunit almost, or like a mystery almost. I really think it sucks. Yeah, okay. Uh, definitely, it seems to be one of his least popular. A lot of people didn't like it as much. I still think there's enough in it for me where enough Tarantino stuff in it where I still I still think it's good, but I won't rat hard for that one. I won't defend that one like with some of the other ones. But with this one, yeah, I mean, just like, there's just a way that he does movies that you just don't see it anywhere else. You really don't. He obviously, all his whole career has been taking from other films. Like, that's one of his main things is like repurposing all these like grindhouse films or well specifically in death proof but like these like 70s 60s era films of certain genre films that people call them genre pictures and like putting them all together in a matchup that just works the way he does it it's just not to me it's not like anything else and a lot of that is the dialogue he has which is like very unique to most other screenwriters dialogue is characters say it's not like naturalistic certainly you would it's not like you're like um some other movies we talked about like it's not like florida project or uh, a good time or something where it's like that but it's like so mm -hmm. you could see other screenwriters and other people trying to write stuff like this and just failing so miserably you know where the way he does it and a lot of them are aping him anyway but like pulp fiction or whatever but the way he does it is just like works so well i, I don't even exactly know how like he's almost like a um idiot savant or something you know for dialogue sure but i mean one of my favorite things about tarantino films is like the suspense as well i mean i'm a big suspense guy that's one of my favorite genres and that's paramount in a lot of his films and the surprising thing about once upon a time in hollywood is that that's not really the case in this one there's one main set piece where it is the suspense and that's where, I guess we'll spoil this one too. That's where Brad Pitt goes to the, the ranch, right? And you don't exactly know what's going on. And what ends up happening is nothing. Like you talk, the guy really is there, played by Bruce Stern, George, whatever. 
who owns the ranch and and then he just leaves gets away from them but but that is so tense where like all of the girls are following him like fucking right. cats um and first of all uh margaret quayley to round out the 2019 eric's not in a relationship this year and having thoughts about actresses uh margaret quayley needs to make out with me wait so you have to not be in a relationship to like want to uh to get a crush on actresses <laughs> i don't get that it's pronounced it's it's just it's just more pronounced so Quayle versus Candace, what's your pick? It's it's a lot. <laughs> Candace. Yeah, the but the accent's gotta take that one over the top. I think so. And you know she can obviously she can she can cook, she can bake. I don't know if Quayle. Well I can it. bake. But we're not. Oh, you don't need that? You don't need that? <laughs> Alright, send me some muffins or something. I guess they won't travel that well. I'm over here in Hollywood practically, which is another element of why I like this um more personal, just because I've moved here recently and um just seeing landmarks and stuff and i'm just so, so into and even more so in the past few years gotten into more i think a lot of the films that tarantino likes or that he's basing things on of these like somewhat or more obscure films from like the late 60s early 70s i've been watching a lot of, of those lately as well and i've been going to his theater which is called the new beverly theater yep got some posters hanging up over there from it um, which he owns, See it. which Tarantino owns has owned for I think the past decade. It's been a theater around in LA for years. But is it a Parasite poster from like, the movie that, that came out this yeah. year? So I've been that's yeah, where I've been okay. filming. I mean, listeners can't hear this obviously, but I set up a little corner where I've been filming my videos in this room here. So I, I put those back as a little backdrop. But even though they're TV reactions, my videos so it doesn't <laughs> doesn't exactly fit the theme. I should put a Steven Universe poster or something, but. You know, it is what it what I have. Oh, I didn't really finish my point about the suspense thing, but but this one didn't overall it didn't have that as much, except for that one main scene. I don't know if you disagree, but Well and so even though I knew what happened at the end, like I'd had it spoiled for me, there was that point from the time when they were like there's that part where the the radio or the television or whatever is saying just like and now for the moment you've all been waiting for and you know it's like oh the manson family's coming to murder sharon tate in front of our very fucking eyes and i knew what happened i i knew that she survived the film in this retelling or whatever but like there is that sense of dread as like the car pulls up and as leo like comes out with a picture of margaritas it does do suspense pretty well in that moment okay even if I would say you know what's gonna happen. So I wasn't spoiled on it. I didn't know that that it was gonna be an Inglorious Bastard style twist of changing of history. I had a feeling it might do something like that, but I didn't know for sure. I wasn't spoiled, and I think I saw it on opening day anyway. But I still didn't feel this as much the suspense there. Not like other of his films at least not the same way i don't know fair and it does really develop and this movie is very funny too like i mean there's a lot of similar themes for some of the movies on our list here i think where they're not comedies but a big part of it is the humor yeah which is certainly true in this now we don't have time again like this is another one we could do a whole episode on but the acting again yeah it's i mean a huge cast but mainly it's it's essentially a buddy film at the heart of it with brad pitt and leo dicaprio who's basically a washed-up actor, and Brad Pitt's his, um, basically just his, I think he calls himself a gopher in it. He's basically just his assistant. He used to be a stunt double. A lot like our um, number one, like both of our number one movie, Parasite, I mean, he is living his entire life in the impoverished shadow of this, like, washed-up actor who, like, has his own problems, but... But I will say it's a lot different in the fact that in Parasite, 
clearly there. They want to eat the kid. I'll, I'll just say, not the whole family. I'll just specifically say that the son, he wants to be like the rich family. He wants to be part of that world. Yeah. He even at the, toward the end of the movie asked the girl, like, I, I belong, do I look like I belong here? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and clearly that's what he wants. Whereas the Brad Pitt character doesn't want, he doesn't want to be famous. He doesn't want to, be, he doesn't want any of this stuff. He doesn't mind being Leo's like assistant. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's that moment on the rooftop where he's like climbed up to fix Leo's that roof. That's dope too. And he's having the I He's he's having the flashback to where he did or did not, if you believe, I don't know, if you believe that he's like an unreliable narrator or whatever, but did or did not beat Bruce Lee up and like ruin that car or whatever. Which is a hilarious scene as well. Where he's just like, he he pulls out of it and was like, fair enough. I deserve, I deserve to be where I am in life. Uh, Which Brad Pitt is such a fucking wonderful actor. Brad and Lee are incredible in this. One of the times, obviously, and I knew it was coming too because I'd seen the meme. Like, that was the best acting I'd seen in my life. Yeah, I love that part. Like, I knew it was coming, and I still, like, started weeping. Just like, oh my god. I don't know, Leo's very good. He is. I don't think that you're supposed to cry over that scene, though. I mean, part of the the humor is how choked up he's getting about it. Yes, well, but exactly. <laughs> like, he, he knows that he's a joke, and he can't stop being a joke. I don't know, man. It's perfect. It's a great fucking movie. And I liked how they showed that he was, like, he actually is a pretty good actor. He's not, like, just, like, um... Yeah. Like, he he gave a good performance there that was possibly a, a lot better than the material deserved of this show or whatever. And then it's so... Yeah, it's great how it's set up with this act, this child actor who's, like, kind of pretentious. I don't know, maybe that's not the right word, but, like... Has like her whole thing going on, what she thinks. She was wait, yeah, she was extremely pretentious. Yeah, she, and she is like doesn't have a lot of respect for him. Clearly, how he's acting and everything—not acting, acting, but like just how he's being as a person. And then, but then seeing that, and she loves it. She's like, the, yeah, like that's the best acting I've ever seen. And it was a big laugh line in the theater. Also, the part where, leading up to that, where, well, he's ex- he's crying, like reading, telling her about the plot of the book he's reading, which is obviously the mirror for him. Yeah. And she says something like, I don't, I don't understand or something. And he's like, you will in 10 years or something. Right. That was a big, uh, I, I butchered whatever that line was without, that got a big laugh in the theater. The other time that I uh, remember crying watching this movie, it was like 40 minutes in where uh, Sharon Tate and like, I have previously been immune to Margot Robbie's charms. She's obviously very beautiful and like, she's, she's a good actor. Um, but I've never been just like one of the people who was like, you know who you have to see this performance by Margot fucking Robbie. Like, she was fine in the Tanya, like, Tanya Harding movie. I'm not going to watch the Suicide uh, Squad movie. Uh, I don't know. Like, she seems okay. Yeah, when she was playing Sharon Tate, watching herself play in that movie, and just, like, she puts her glasses on, she's very, like, proper about it, and then she's just, like, mm. staring at herself and grinning and laughing the whole time. Yeah. And totally enthralled by her own performance. She's like, hey, that's fucking me up there. Movie magic. And she's like... She hears of people laughing, and she, you see the look on her face, like how happy she is of like. I think she might be an incredible actor. That it's and it's like not even a good role, really. It's like yeah, it's like a pratfall, like slapstick thing. But yeah, I might have totally turned around on her because of this one movie, and she's good. She's really good in Z for Zachariah too, which is not a great movie. I mean, like Wolf of Wall Street was her breakout, and she's very good in that. I think it's a hit or miss movie, but obviously another leo one yeah they're like we're gonna get divorced scene in that movie is pretty good but yeah and margot robbie is one of these people where i think i've even seen her commenting on this on like a talk show like people think she's older than she she looks old she's only like 20 maybe she's like 28 now 
she's younger than me by a couple of years. Um, I guess she's about your age, or mm-hmm. even maybe a little. How old are you? Twenty nine. I'm twenty nine. Yeah, I think she's like twenty eight or twenty nine. But like, she looks older than she is. I think, but not in a bad. Normally, when you say women or people in general look like older, but like insulted, like to say they look yeah. older than they are. But not in this case. Like she looks good. Obviously, very good still. But she just has like an older look to me. And it's like the opposite of Jennifer Lawrence to me, where there's so many movies where they're mostly the David O. Russell movies, especially. But like she looks out of place because she's playing like an older person. It just doesn't work for me because like I see she looks 28 or whatever, not 38. I'm just not a fan of Jennifer Lawrence. But like Roby is like the opposite of that. Yeah. I don't know. I think I did see her in a talk show saying like, yeah, people think I'm older than I am or whatever, but. Yeah, there's like so many different directions. I I maybe do want to do a, do a uh, follow up episode in the future about just this one specifically. Maybe we'll do Tarantino as a whole. Yeah, it's so good. But yeah, there's so much more to go through, and we just don't have the time. I don't want this to go too long, too much longer. But yeah, so that movie's great. Yeah, the music is great. That's always good in most Tarantino movies. The soundtrack he he puts together is always great. But like just the period music, not all the songs are like so stereotypical you expect the 60 late 60s or whatever well he drops that rolling stones deep yeah, cut deep cut stones they're three quarters of the way through you don't know what's going on you've been away for much too long you can't come back i think you are still there where everything starts to turn baby you're out of time i barely remember that song and I actually am a person who like loves the Rolling Stones. I barely remembered that that song existed, and when I heard that fucking song, it was like, oh my god, yeah, uh, he he's very good with this music. And like, the, there's a Neil Diamond song, which I think is a more of a well-known song. Yeah, yeah. But it it worked really well in this. Like it was during a montage. That was another great needle drop. Like the vibe from that was great. Like amped up the energy. <laughs> There's just too much to any direction to lead us down. I mean, the one thing, I guess some people didn't like the changing of history where they're saying that, I guess some people thought maybe it was disrespectful to change history like that. But ultimately, it is just giving a more happy ending, basically. Like, it is, it's like basically saying, this is how things could be. Exactly. And I thought the movie as a whole was kind of like that. Maybe some people would think it's just someone trying to change history or trying to say, like, things used to be better or something or things could be better because also i think it, a lot of it is like how tarantino is saying film is not like this anymore well it's yeah it's very obviously him mourning like a hollywood that could have been um a hollywood that was being born and and then died in 1968 1969 i'm it's great that he didn't put any shots of Hyde ashbury or hate ashbury and well that's san francisco yeah exactly it's it's great that he didn't mention altamont at all if you're gonna put manson if you're gonna put the other thing that ended uh the 60s in there i think that happened after i believe that happened after the sharon t well altamont's 1968 i think because i read something that was like saying like how things went downhill at the end of 1968 I, I, yeah I, i'm probably wrong and because there was woodstock like whatever the thing i was reading kind of framed it around like woodstock was like the pinnacle and that was like in the summer and then after that everything started really going bad 
Yeah. Obviously, the war was still on. That was bad. There, there was a lot of unrest already, assassinations and everything. But, like, specifically at the end of 69, it was the Manson family shit. Then I think Altamont. And then maybe something. Like, the last three months of the 69 went. Had a bunch of crazy shit like that. I might be wrong, though. You might be right about that one specific thing. I don't remember, but it was... So, Altamont happened on December 6th, 1969. Yeah, which I think so most right of this then. movie happens in nineteen six in earlier in 1969. Yeah, and then they did the time skip thing, of course, um, which is interesting. I kind of like that, too, though. But it's, like, from March to August, right? I liked how they he just, like, got, like, a wife in Italy or whatever. That seems like something that would really happen, probably, you know, like... Yeah, this actor exactly, yes. And, like, and it's like Brad Pitt. I can't afford you anymore. But but I like that too. That's one last one of the last things I'll say right now about it. I really like how the conflict in this isn't most traditional films would be like they're the two guys, they're friends, they're partners, or whatever they are, two people, whatever. There's gonna be something to get between them, and it's gonna that's gonna be the conflict of the film, you know. Then they have to make up or whatever. But I like in this, it's not like that. Like he understands, like okay. There is no conflict there of like, I'm mad at you for because you're letting me go or you're choosing this over me. Or he's just like, all right, cool. I understand. Like, we'll have one last good night together and whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of refreshing. The conflict is between them together and like an America that's falling apart at the seams around them. And then, yeah, of course, the great uh, uh, flamethrower callback worked well for me. Yeah, that, that whole thing. That whole scene fucking, like... We didn't talk about the dog at all or anything. <laughs> Good performance. I don't know. Probably. It felt like I was being pulled into the air by my scalp. I forgot for a second, for most of that movie, I forgot that, like, most Tarantino films have, like, absurd violence. Uh, and then when it started happening, it was like, oh, shit. And it was, like, saving it for that long it was really effective. And that's another great thing I love about Tarantino is that you can get criticized, or maybe it's not your cup of tea, like the ultra violence and everything like that, but something like Kill Bill, the Kill Bill movies, clearly that's over the top cartoonish violence, but... Which is, Kill Bill is my favorite Tarantino film, despite all that. Okay, it's not, see, it's not mine, that's something we can debate about. I, I like it, but I like Volume 2 more, I would say, but um, either way, and a lot of ones like this, Pulp Fiction, a lot of them, when the violence does occur, it is like how... It, it would happen in real life a lot of times. Like, it wouldn't be some Scorsese big cinematic thing. It is just, like, out of nowhere, abrupt. Someone just gets mad and shoots him. In the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, it is more, like, realistic in that sense. Like, the dialogue a lot of times isn't necessarily as realistic. But, yeah, the violence a lot of times is, like, more how things would happen in real life than in the movies, I guess. I don't know. I could talk about it for five hours but no one wants to hear that it could be arguable if people are still listening now yeah man <laughs> but i'm having fun but i will show some restraint here we won't make this an irishman style three and a half hours we're about one and a half right now maybe with some trimming so that's our tentative top five again ending with parasite that wasn't unseated for me i don't think it will be real quick before we wrap what else are you looking forward to that's going to get released this year? I guess other than the ones we've talked about that you haven't seen yet. I really want to see Uncut Gems and Little Women. Those might be the last two that could affect my rankings. Yeah. So something like Little Women, it's not like a... I typically wouldn't necessarily be too interested in that, but given the that's next Gerwig film, and I like Shesha Ronan a lot, and Chalamet's in that one too, right? They're getting that band back together, so... And Florence Pugh. Oh, she's in that too? From Midsummer. Yeah. Oh, nice. She's one of the titular women. Yeah. yeah. 
that might be one where I'm like, I mean, I might go see that like with my mom or something on uh, Christmas. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, I've never I've read or anything. I don't know. I don't really know. I think I've seen like half of the Winona Ryder one. I'm also interested to see, late. what's it called? Something of Ladies on Fire? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's the one. This year's, like, lesbian novel. And it's based on a novel? No, um, I'm sorry. It's this year's, like, lesbian film. Blue Storm is Color, Colette last year, which didn't get that much attention, and, and then this year we've got Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It looks like it might be really fucking good. Yeah, I think I saw a preview for that before. I don't know, something I saw. It wasn't Uncut Gems yesterday, but... Ah, uh, well, whatever it was. I want to see that. I think the World War One movie coming out looks pretty interesting. I think it's called 1916, 17? Yeah, it's 17. Um, I'm not that excited about that, but I'm never that excited about a war movie. And then, like, sometimes I see a movie like Dunkirk, and I'm like, oh, this did work on me. Yeah, it, it seems kind of similar to Dunkirk, to be honest, but similar in style. Yeah, so, yeah, a couple ones left to watch for sure. But overall, yeah, I think 2019 was a pretty good, pretty good year. Better than last year, I think, for sure. And there's a lot of good stuff out there if you find it. So I'm excited to see more. That's probably going to about do it for Movies Are Relevant 2019, but we should be back in January with a, another fresh episode. I want to try to be consistent in 2020. I'm going to have a couple of ideas for uh, future Movies Are Relevant episodes that I think will be good. So if you like hearing about the cinema... Tune back into Brooklyn Rebound Network here. Do you got anything, E-Nam? No, that's basically it. Those are my five favorite movies. We didn't really have time to talk about some movies that like weren't top five, top ten material that I loved, like High Flying Bird or Ad Astra, for like mostly thematic reasons and because Andre Holland and Brad Pitt are great actors. Oh, I finally saw Moonlight. You hadn't seen that? No, I uh, I made that joke this time last year. Oh, man, that, that, that does sound familiar. Like... Yeah, you hadn't seen it at the time when we talked about it a while, a long time ago, two years ago or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. No, it's, it's pretty, good it's, yeah, it's pretty fucking good. Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty fucking good. <laughs> good, lukewarm take in. End of 2019 coming in with Moonlight. All right, so stay subscribed to Brooklyn Rebound Network. Check out my YouTube channel, Drew's Views, for TV reactions. And until next time, we're all out of here. Peace. Peace. Happy New Year. Productions.